Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Thank you again for checking in and listening to this audio. We are continuing our way through the book of Haggai, and we are actually finally in chapter 2. Now, we're going to do a um, fairly in-depth dive into verses 1 through 9 on this podcast, uh, though we may go back and, and uh, parse some of it. But uh, at the moment, we're going to look at the whole and uh, maybe maybe look at some parts as we skim through the hole or make our way through the hole and and uh, see what we can learn from the Lord. Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you, when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Are you getting a, um, are, are you noticing a pattern there? <laughs> it seems that the Lord of hosts is the one speaking here. Now we've looked at that in a previous uh, podcast. Uh, we went through and, and looked at who this Lord of hosts is. And it's quite significant that this is who is speaking to Haggai, and and through Haggai to Judah in this day. So praise the Lord. He he spoke then. He speaks now primarily through his word, almost exclusively through his word. And um, we're okay with that. 
We, we have his word in written format. We can believe it. We can trust it. We can know it. We can study it. And we can base our lives upon it. Now, Haggai's third message is found in Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Now, I know, again, it's a common teaching that this is only the second message. Uh, but that's, that's not the case if you follow the layout of the book. Each, each message begins with, with the Lord declaring that, that the Lord gave a message to Haggai to give to the people, and each message is dated. And if we follow that pattern for each message, then there are five, not four. And so uh, this is our third, third message from the Lord to Haggai and from Haggai to Judah. The Lord addresses the ancient men in this passage. He is requesting they compare in their minds the first house to what they see before them now. And you can find that in Haggai 2, verses 1 through 3. And then secondly, they are reminded of the covenant the Lord made with them when they came out of Egypt. Their relationship with the Lord remains valid based upon the fact of this covenant. That's Haggai 2, verses 4 through 5. And then third, they should look forward to the future blessings from God. This house will have peace and glory according to the Lord. And that's Haggai verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. The physical presence of Solomon's temple was grand. Solomon's temple was a sight to behold. It was a magnificent structure that had no comparison. It was built using specific instructions from God that called for cedars from Lebanon, gold, silver, and any number of beautiful, ornate materials. And yet this latter temple was no comparison, neither in physical structure or decorative materials. It just was not the same. But the downfall of the former will be the glorification of the latter. When the presence of God exists, the house of when the presence of God exits the house of God, when the presence of God exits the house of God, ruin is soon to follow. But the Lord would fill this latter house with glory, and the glory of this latter house will be the will be greater than that of the former. While the former was greater in stature, the latter will be greater in peace and glory, and there will be no fear to be had there. It does no good to place God's name on anything, any place, or any person if that God is if if God is not present with them. And thus grand temples and churches stand across this world in the name of God or gods, and yet the God of the Bible has nothing to do with the practices therein. This latter house was less glorious in stature, but the God of heaven and earth was there. The God that redeemed Israel by the blood of the Lamb was there. The God who promised Israel's future blessing, he was with them. The God who would shake the nations, he was there. And when the glory of God fills the house, it becomes a place of great significance. Without God's presence, without God's glory, we have nothing. It, it's, it's, like, it's, it's as good as the best of men. That's all you get. And the best of men are as grass, and they will wither, and they will die. So let's stick with the glory of God. Let's stay focused on that. Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, 
Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes a comparison of it as nothing? So as the Lord delivers his word to his people, and when he does so, he notes the date of its delivery. How often do you and I sit down and note when the Lord spoke to us? When was the last time you heard a preacher open the Bible and and say something you know had to come straight from God, and you, you went somewhere and you made a note of that, you wrote down the date, the time, the place, the person speaking, because God notes all these things in these messages from Haggai to his people. It seems significant. If God spoke to you clearly from his word, um, it seems that we might want to begin to notate these things and and build our lives upon these things and not lose sight of what the Lord told us from his word. And so all through this book, it presents the idea of receiving God's word. Then based upon obedience, the Lord responds with more revelation. Now, if the response was disobedience, the Lord might respond with displeasure or judgment. The date of this third message is significant. That, that is the date given in the Bible. I, I don't know the date historically. I could give you some guesses because men who study these things offer guesses. <laughs> and so I could take their guess and offer it to you as my guess, or I can just tell you what the Bible says. Um, that really is going to be the only dependable part. Every time I read books that try to uh, uh, provide some background information and historical information regarding these books, what I find is they give you all this information with great confidence, and then at the end of it all, at the end of it all, they tell you, "But we don't really know." <laughs> so, uh, so you take it for what it's worth. If you're interested in that kind of thing, then go for it. I, I've found very little use for it at the moment. That might change in the future, but at the moment, I've found little use in reading the words of a bunch of men who. Even the ones, even the men who believe the Bible often use history, archaeology, science, you know, whatever the case may be, to cast doubt on the Bible rather than rather than disbelieving the words of men and sticking with their, you know, maintaining their trust in the Bible. So I'm just going to stick with the Word of God. Uh, everything else seems to catch up at some point, and so when everything else catches up, then then I'll know. <laughs> Till then, I just know what the Bible says, and I'm okay with that. Now, the reason the, ti- the, reason the timing here is significant, um, look, look at Haggai 2, verse 1. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord uh, by the prophet Haggai, saying. Now, this is significant because historically it ties in with the Feast of Tabernacles. If you look at Levitic- Leviticus 23, verses 39 through 44, um, we, we were given some insight into the Feast of Tabernacle, uh, Tabernacles and the, uh, the time frame in which it was practiced. Um, look at verse 39. Also in the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And you shall take you on the first day the bows of goodly trees, branches of palm trees and the boughs of thick trees and willows of the brook 
and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days, and you shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Sound familiar? You shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. Now, again, this was the Feast of Tabernacles. The feast was celebrated as the people gathered in the fruit of the land. So so it was time for harvest. It's time to gather your fruit. And as they went in to do so, they came back and had this great feast unto the Lord according to his directives. And this feast would be taking place during the time period of this third prophecy in the book of Haggai, or it's supposed to. The problem is this feast hadn't been reinstated yet. Uh, The Feast of Tabernacles would end with Israel dwelling in booths to remind them the Lord brought them out of Egypt. And if you you recall, uh, our third third message from Haggai uh, draws this connection. Uh, The connection is made you know, when, when we consider that the Lord reminds them of his covenant when he brought them out of Egypt. Back in Haggai's message, that's Haggai 2, verses 5, when he says, according to the word that I covenanted with you, when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaining remaineth among you, fear ye not. So the Lord is telling them that there, there, he's, it seems that he's making this connection as, as this prophecy comes out from Haggai at a time when they're supposed to be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, the Lord seems to give a subtle hint there. <laughs> um, remember the Feast of Tabernacles? Remember, remember the covenant I made with you when we came out of Egypt? Um, aren't you supposed to be doing something right now? And, and, and so the Lord seems to be giving them a gentle nudge in that direction. This third message is presented to the people in conjunction with the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, in which Israel focused on their being brought out of the land of Egypt. Now, unfortunately, at this time, the Jewish Jewish observance of feast days had not yet been restored. They they did rebuild the altar and they laid the foundation of the temple when they when they initially made it back to Jerusalem. And uh, many of the practices of of the law of Moses were reinstated, but it doesn't appear they had restored these feasts. It was not restored until late in the book of Zechariah. If you look at Zechariah 14, verses 16 through 20, and it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up, and come not, and have no rain, there shall be there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt, and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Of course, this has also got a prophetic aspect to it, speaking of 
the future coming of the Lord and his kingdom on earth. Uh, but Nehemiah also notes that uh, at some point later, they restored the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, Haggai's first prophecy began on the first day of the sixth month. By the 24th day of the sixth month, Judah had returned to work on the house of the Lord. Their active obedience came with certain promises from God. He promised he would be with them and that he would stir their spirits. That being so, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the Lord came back to the people with more encouragement to again stir their spirits. The troubles they faced in rebuilding had not dissipated fully. They, they did begin, uh, they did gain the support of Darius the king, which I am certain went a long way. But as the people break from their spiritual despondency and overcome the, the, uh, the, the persecution they faced and uh, uh, the troubles that came their way in building the Lord's house, their God promised he would be with them and he would stir them as they continued in obedience. And this third message from Haggai to the people seems to be an opportunity for God to do that, to stir their hearts. Now look at Haggai 2, verse 2. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shelti, O governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, once again, Haggai's message is directed to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the residue of the people. Now, we looked previously at the remnant of the people, this this residue of the people, they are the same group. It's the same people. It's another way of stating the same idea, the, the remnant of the people and the residue of the people. And all through the Word of God, when you read through the Word of God and, and you notice that apostasy seems to abound and uh, idolatry consumes the people and, and sins of the flesh take over and the lust of this world just, just really has its way with God's people, but there's always this residue of a people. There's always this, this remnant that are left that, that don't give up on God. They stay with the Lord, and they do their best to serve him and to live with him. Now, let's, let's look briefly uh, in, our, in our Bible at this residue of the people. We did, a, we did a full study on the remnant of the people, but let's look here briefly at the residue of the people. Jeremiah 41.10 then Ishmael carried away captive all the residue of the people that were in Mizpah, even the king's daughters and all the people that remained in Mizpah, whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had committed to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, and Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, carried them away captive and, de- and departed to go over to the Ammonites. Now, Nebuchadnezzar left behind certain of the poor in the land when he took Judah into captivity. They had Gedaliah for their governor, but Ishmael, being the bloody man that he is, <laughs> caused much trouble for this residue. Uh, he put Gedaliah to, to, to death. Uh, the passage we're reading here in Jeremiah 41 is a passage in which he's throwing many of the people in a pit and, and leaving them there to die or, or use them as a bartering tool, whatever, whatever suits his purposes best. But um, it's not going well for this residue. Um, for these people that were left behind. Look at Jeremiah 52, verses 12 through 16. Now in the fifth month and the tenth day of the month, which was the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuchadnezzar, captain of the guard, which served the king of Babylon, 
into Jerusalem and burn the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and all the houses of the great men. Burned he with fire and all the army of the Chaldeans that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captive certain of the poor of the people and the residue of the people that remained in the city. That's, that is the, the best definition of the residue of the people. They are often the people that just simply remained. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the, the remnant is often, uh, has, the, the, the remnant often has more of an attachment to uh, their fidelity to, the, to, to God, to the Lord. They, they are not only a small group that remain, but they, to some extent, or to, to a lo- you know, many times to a large extent, but at least to some extent, they refuse to turn their back on God. And it may cost them great trouble. And you see that all through the Bible. You know, the, the, the remnant of the people uh, tend to have a bit more of, of an attachment to God. Daniel would be part of that, that, that remnant. Ezra, Nehemiah, the, these, these guys would be part of the remnant of the people. But here in this case, uh, Nebuchadnezzar just didn't want these people. They were poor and, and in his mind, not worth the, the, the trek back to Babylon. <laughs> So he left them in the land to be vine dressers and to take care of the land, and um, and of course the land was left in chaos. So they were subject to that chaos, unfortunately, and that that rev, that residue of Judah they they remained behind, and and Nebuchadnezzar gave them the job of dressing the land. In Zechariah fourteen one through five, though, we see the Lord coming back for his residue and fighting. For the residue of the people. Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 5 Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be, sh- shall be, shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley and half of the mountains shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains for the valley of the mountains shall reach Unto Azal, yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from the Lord, uh, from fled from the from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. So this is a future day of battle, and the Lord's going to fight over His remnant. Uh, it's amazing, oftentimes. They lack any fidelity to God. They lack any faithfulness. They, they turn their back on God. But those are his people, and he's coming back for his people. Now, that's comforting for me as part of the body of Christ. The Lord promised he would come back and take his church away, take him to be with himself. Um, I'm looking forward to that. It is absolutely coming. I have no doubt whatsoever it, it's going to happen. And so, Praise the Lord. We praise God for that, and we look forward to it. Now, Haggai 2, verse 3, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? 
Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Now, the Lord calls the ancient men who, who saw this house in, in, the, in the first glory. That, that'd be Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple is gone. It was destroyed. We just read in Jeremiah where Nebuchadnezzar and his men burned it to the ground. And so the Lord is calling on these ancient men and asking them, how many of you saw this house in her first glory? The Lord calls their attention to compare Solomon's temple with Zerubbabel's temple. He's asking them, how do you see it? T- tell me what's on your mind. And, and I think that's an important note. The Lord, the Lord is not saying it is nothing. He is saying that you see it as nothing. You ancient men who, who saw the physical stature and the physical glory of Solomon's temple, and, and as you look at this temple, in your eyes, you see it as nothing. Uh, this time of comparison would be short and bitter, and there really was no comparison. <laughs> This provided for Judah a moment of surreal reflection. They had before them a physical marker to help measure what their sin had cost them. It's not too often you get the opportunity to sit back, look at the physical fruit and outcome of the choices you made and the sin in your life and reflect upon what that sin has cost you. You don't get to do that very often. They're being asked to do that here. Now, we will note here again the question. Is it not in your eyes, your eyes, in comparison of it as nothing? The, Lord's, the, the Lord appears to be taking the people through a, a thought process whereby he will highlight the cost of their sin. He will note the people's thoughts regarding this latter house, and then he will tell them the wonderful news of his future plans. So that this is, this is very important to keep in mind. Um, should you fall into sin? No. How, how shall we that are dead, dead to sin continue any, there, any, any longer therein? So you and I, we, as Christians, as, as Bible-believing Christians, as people who have trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no excuse to allow sin to linger into, in, in our lives. It should not be there. It should not be allowed to stay. It should not be allowed to hang around. We shouldn't toy with it. We shouldn't play with it. We should do all we can to remove it immediately. But the longer you allow it to linger, the more trouble and the more it's going to co- it's going to cause and the more it's going to cost you. Now, when that sin comes, and undoubtedly it's unfortunately going to, when it comes... That's not the end. Your life is not over. The Lord still has, there, there are still a number of ways the Lord could use you and you could take your, your fallen condition, your terrible mistake, and you could turn it into something that could be, be, be helpful and, and joyful and could bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you should not go commit sin so that you could find this place of, of, of trying to bring honor and glory to the Lord through your sin. The way you, the best way to honor and glorify the Lord is don't sin. Get it out of our life. Live according to his word. Sin is the violation of his word. When we transgress his word, that, that, is, that is sin. So you don't want to do that in order to try and create a platform whereby you can <laughs> glorify God. 
You, you don't spit in God's face and then come back and wipe it and say, okay, how can I, how can I please you now? Hey, that, that, that makes no sense. You, you, you don't want to go that route. You don't want to do that. It's going to cost you. It's going to hurt you. And as long as you allow sin to linger, that, 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 that viper is going to bite you. So the sooner you remove it, the better. If it happens, repent, move on, and, and assuming that the sin you committed is not so egregious, it prevents you from being able to continue in service to the Lord, find out how you can continue to serve the Lord and, and be faithful. Now, walking through these thought exercises, uh, they can be infinitely helpful and constructive. It'd be good for us to try and do this. If you sit down and think through the decisions you've made and what it cost you, how it helped you, did it bring you closer to the Lord, did it move you further away from the Lord, um, you sit down and you think through those things, you can then make some constructive decisions and, and create some, some boundaries and some goals to help get you back to service to Jesus Christ. But while the Lord draws this contrast in their minds, it is meant to prepare them mentally emotionally, and spiritually for his future plans. He's not trying to tear them down for, for the sake of tearing them down. He's, he's setting them up for what he intends to do next. That contrast is, is clearly drawn between verses 3 and 4 as it ends. Verse 3 ends with, as nothing. <laughs> That's, you know, you, you, you're serving the Lord, you're building this new house, and he says, yeah, you, you think this is nothing, don't you? In your eyes, you look at this new temple and you think it's nothing. But then verse 4 begins with, yet now, yet now. Uh, speaking of which, Haggai chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, Yet now be strong, goes Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. So verse 4 opens with great words of encouragement. And, and again, it seems to me this third message, the point of this third message is, is, uh, is to establish more encouragement, more good ideas, more clear thinking about what it is Judah is working towards. And, and God is kind of laying out his future plans and hopes and thoughts for the nation of Israel. And, uh, you know, the basis for, for the, the, the strength they're supposed to have and the work they're supposed to do is the reality that the Lord is with them. The Lord has, has covenanted with them and the Lord's spirit remains with them. These are all powerful tools, uh, when we think about what God has promised us and, and we rely on that to press forward and to move on, you know, you hear a lot of talk these days about, you know, the, the, the need that people have for, for uh, you know, they, they, they need to, to attach themselves to something that will help them overcome the obstacles of life, you know, to help them kind of wake up daily and, and, and go to the grind and, and to, to feel like it, it is worthwhile to do so. And it seems here the Lord is providing that. And the Lord has certainly provided that for us. There are crowns we can win in heaven. We can think about what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. There, there are rewards. There, there are souls that can be saved. I mean, there, there, the Lord has given us so much incentive to desire 
to run our race. And you just, but you've got to put that in front of you daily and remind yourself daily, well, I have a sufficient savior. Uh, He is certainly worthy of my uh, uh, attention and my devotion and my, my service. And then souls are going to die and go to hell. That's pretty good motivation to go out and tell somebody about Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And then over and above all that, as though that were not enough, the Lord says, I'm going to give you crowns. I'm going to give you rewards. I'm going to give you a place in heaven. Um, there's just, there, there is so much available to us as Christians if you will just get up daily and remind yourself of how wonderful the Lord is, how worthy he is, and what he intends to do for you based upon the way you live your life here and now. That can, that can be uh, a pretty motivating why factor. <laughs> And, and so that seems to be what the Lord is doing here for, for Judah. Now, their, their chastisement and delivery into captivity, followed by the difficulty they suffered in Haggai 1, did not exist because God had forsaken them. And, and God's not going to forsake us either. That's, that's a very important idea to remember. The source of their trouble was their disobedience. It wasn't that God had forsaken them. If God did forsake them, it was because of disobedience. If God uh, separated himself from them for a time, it was because of their disobedience. Uh, God never left them. He made them, he made them clear promises, noting what he would do if the people were disobedient to the Lord in the land. And he also told them exactly what would happen if they were obedient in the land. So the Lord dealt with them exactly as he said he would. Now, the Lord informs Judah, his spirit remains with them, which is connected with Israel's exodus from Egypt. Look at Isaiah 63, verses 7 through 14. And uh, this connection would be be made very clear to us. Uh, the, The Lord's spirit and their exodus from Egypt and then the Lord reminds them in this third passage again, this third, this third message again, um, that my, about his covenant, the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. This is all significant um, and, and would be helpful to a, a downtrodden group of captives who just came home and are trying to rebuild their land or trying to rebuild their, their, their temple and their, their life. And, and they need some proper motivation to do so. Isaiah 63, verses 7 through 14 I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindness. You've got to love the loving kindness of God. That is a beautiful word. It's a word we should be infinitely thankful for. Now, for he said, surely they are my people. That's important. He's not leaving his people. Children that, not li- that will not lie. So he was their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bare them and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy. And he fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people, saying, Where is he that brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he that put his Holy Spirit within him? 
that led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm, dividing the water before them to make himself an everlasting name, that led them through the deep as an horse in the wilderness, that they should not stumble. As a beast goeth down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord caused him to rest. So didst thou lead thy people to make thyself a glorious name. The fact uh, was to be a great, this fact was to be a great source of calm and strength for the people. The Lord is preparing the hearts and minds of the people to press through and finish the work of the house of God. That, that connection there to Egypt and what God promised Israel, the nation, and that, that, that promise, of course, goes to every tribe and even, even in the separated kingdom, you don't get to separate the, the, the covenants and the promises. Um, Judah is being reminded here, I made you a promise when I brought you out of, the, out of Egypt, and I intend to keep that promise. I made a covenant. I intend to keep that covenant. And because of that covenant, because of that promise, um, you have future blessing waiting for you. So, so stay focused and work. Be strong. Don't fear. Look at Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea, and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. The, the idea of the coming of the Lord and shaking things up is repeated in Scripture, and, and is used as a source of blessing for God's people. Now, we read in Zechariah 14, it's going to get bad before it gets good. It's going to get really bad before the Lord finally returns and, and rescues his people. And we're, we're going to look, though, at, at, at several places in the Word of God where this idea of uh, shaking the heaven and the earth and, and this this rapid return of the Lord, uh, where he says, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, uh, you know, as, as the Lord intends to do that. Um, it's repeated numerous times all through Scripture. We're going to look at several of them. We're not going to look at all of them, but we're, we're going to read several of them so that you see this idea, and it's all connected directly to the second coming of Christ. When he puts his feet down on the Mount of Olives, uh, <laughs> it seems when that mountain clefts and and goes to the north, the south, the east, and the west, that um, uh, it does more than just flatten. It shakes the earth and the heavens, and and his coming is going to be a, is going to be notable. Uh, so now let's look at Psalm thirty seven verses seven through twelve. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him who prospereth in His way. Because of the man who bring, bringeth wicked devices to pass, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. 
for yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, shall not uh, thou shalt dil- excuse me. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. So there we have it. Yet a little while. And the wicked shall not be. The Lord's going to shake things up. Look at Isaiah 29, 17, verses, uh, uh, verses 17 through 19. It is not yet a little while. Is it not yet a little? Is it not yet a very little while? And Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field. And the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book. And the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity. And out of darkness, the meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. He is coming. That Holy One is coming. Isaiah 13, verses 6 through 13. How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. And they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be, they shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven... And the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world of their evil and the wicked of their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. And I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. That day is is absolutely coming and it's going to be so violent, it's going to remove the earth out of its place. Now, I I either won't be here for that (laughs) or I'll be coming with the Lord and and I'd imagine he's going to keep us nice and stable as the earth loses its place. <laughs> Jeremiah 51, verse 33. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon, is like a threshing floor. It is time to thresh her. Now, just a quick note. That's not a good thing to hear God say about you. If God, if God is now, if God is so angry with you, he's looking at you like you're a threshing floor and he's about to put that threshing floor to work, you're in serious trouble. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It'd be, it's, it's a wonderful thing to, to, to have him put you into his hand and protect you there. It's a bad thing to fall into his hand and have his, ring, his anger, his wrath poured out upon you. Don't, don't do that. So it is time to thresh her, yet a little while, and the time of her harvest shall Come. Then we join we join up in the New Testament. Let's go to Hebrews 10, verses 35 through 39. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. 
For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. These promises are incredibly important for us to remember. We want to know them in their context. We want to believe them in their context. But man, they they can be such a wonderful source of joy and and uh, consolation, and and um, it can just really help you through life to focus on what the Lord has promised you. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back under perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. And thank God for that difference. Hebrews 12, verses 24 through 29. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel, See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape. If we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also the heaven, and this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receive in the kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So it'd be good for us to be anchored to to the one who's going to uh, be the king over that kingdom that will not be moved. That, that'd be solid ground. We, we'd be anchored by a solid rock. Uh, it's, good to, it's good to be on the Lord's side. <laughs> Matthew 24, verses 29 through 30. Immediately after. Now that's important. Listen to the words. Listen closely. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, Shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. Now what is that sign of the Son of Man in heaven? Behold, he cometh in the clouds. Every kindred, every tongue, when they see him, they will mourn because of him. That's Revelation 1, verse 7. So the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. These are all references to the Lord's second coming. And when he comes, he will break Gentile powers and establish his own kingdom on earth. This is a fact commonly reported on in the word of God. It is uh, probably one of the most oft-repeated and trustworthy uh, ideas taught in Scripture. The Lord says he will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and all nations, all nations. It seems that when the Lord leaves the third heaven to return to earth and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, the flattening of that mountain will do more than cause a local scene. <laughs> it will shake the heavens, the earth, the seas, the dry land, and all the nations at his coming. This is a significant prophetic event. 
This nation who has been so despised and hated by the other nations of earth will finally see Emmanuel come to them and restore them. Haggai chapter 2, verse 7, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Along with God's shaking the earth comes the desire of all nations. Now, we're probably going to try to look at this one or two more times before I'm done with Haggai chapter 2 and this section of it, though we we may move quicker through Haggai chapter 2 than we did through Haggai chapter 1. This is going to be important to look at. The context of this passage is the end of the tribulation period, at the end of which the Lord Jesus Christ will return to the earth in his second coming. The desire of all nations is the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, they may not admit that, but, but, but it is what they desire. And he's going to establish his kingdom on earth, and he's going to give to the people that are in that kingdom what everyone was fighting for here on earth before the Lord came back. The, the true desire of all nations is Jesus. They may not be willing to say that. They may not even understand it. But his return, it's what they're looking for. Every nation says they want peace. Well, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Every nation wants love. God is love. Every nation wants joy. Joy can only be found through Jesus Christ. Every nation wants food. Christ is the bread of life. Every nation wants water. They can drink freely and never thirst again with Christ. Christ is the desire of all nations. The trouble is, they want all these wonderful benefits, but they want them without the Lord. And that's not going to happen. It's not a possibility. You might, you might be able to gain some of these features in your nation without the Lord, but you're not going to get them all. And you, you continually stand uh, as a target, and, and what you have can fall, can be taken. Look at America. America's so wicked now. It, it, America's decline is unbelievably imminent. Right now, it's, it's a glass house just waiting for the, for the thin, thin glass walls to shatter. America's so weak and frail. The economy is so weak and frail. Everything's so fake. You don't even know if you're a man or a woman anymore. You don't have a clue what's going on in your life anymore. You don't know what cars are worth anymore. You don't know what gas is worth anymore. You don't know, you don't know what a two-by-four is worth anymore. Nobody has a clue what's going on in, in America right now. It, it's, it's a wicked nation that is, that is headed straight for destruction. And the thing is, the Lord doesn't even have to do it. The, the, the stupidity of our leading class is going to usher it in for him. He doesn't even have to come back. into. The Bible says, thine own wickedness shall correct thee. We're going to correct ourselves through wicked activity, wicked thoughts, wicked thinking, wicked living, wicked actions. It's all, it's all you know, it's ungodly. They all, they all want peace. They all want love. They all want tolerance. They all want all the, they, they say these words, but I really don't think they know what the words mean. <laughs> It's, it's mass confusion. It's ridiculous. And so every nation wants peace. 
Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. You don't have real peace without him. Every nation wants security. When he comes back with his rod of iron, he will establish security. <laughs> it, it just, everything you say you want, you can have it through Jesus Christ. The more you reject him, the less you have of those things. The more America turns its back on God, which is, which is a foregone conclusion at this point, um, you don't know what's going to happen to you on the streets in America. You don't know what's going to happen at your job on a daily basis. You don't even know if you can go in a store and shop anymore. The things that will be required of you, the, 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 the control and the, the direction that things are going, it's an ungodly direction. And uh, I would love to see it turned around, but I am not hopeful it is even possible. So Christ, he is their hope. He's the hope of all nations. He's, he's, he's their desires, the desire of all nations. The nations of this world shake their fist at God in blasphemy, all the while demanding that he give them the desires of their hearts. They refuse to submit to Christ and enjoy the great and wonderful benefits thereof. Instead, they demand the benefits as well as God's submission to them. That's not going to happen. You either trust God or you're either for God, you're with God, you're submissive to God, or you're against him. And he will humble you. Now, when that's going to happen, <laughs> yet a little while, <laughs> just a little while, he's coming and he's going to do it. And I hope I get to watch, I guess this is part of, I guess this is pride speaking maybe, but I hope I get to watch every knee bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. I want to see the most defiant of nations and the most defiant of individuals who hated Jesus Christ for no reason. They just, they hate God, which, you know, they hate God, so therefore they must hate Jesus. It's, it's kind of the way that works. But I, I'd just like to see that day when they're on their knee, confessing his name, confessing he is Lord, and bowing that knee before Jesus Christ. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In his desire to comfort Judah in their service to the Lord, he reminds them not to be concerned about the costs. He will provide for their needs. He owns the silver and the gold. He will provide for them in this endeavor. Now, we read about, um, first of all, Cyrus, um, when he said, when he made his decree to send them back. He also made provision to pay for the temple. Uh, but Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes at some point shut down the building of the temple. But Darius restored it, and he restored payment and tribute that side of the river to go to Judah so that they had what they need to not only build the temple, but Darius was specific to give them what they needed to make sacrifice. <laughs> now you explain that. <laughs> a Gentile Persian king trying to make sure these people have what they need to sacrifice unto their God. That's a, that's a blessing. So praise the Lord for it. Haggai 2.9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former. With all of this in mind, Judah presses on in their service to the Lord, and they finish building 
the temple. It wasn't easy. It was difficult. The Lord had a lot of correction to make and a lot of chastisement to put upon them and a lot of dealing with them along the way, but he also gave them plenty of encouragement and he gave them good word, good promises to look forward to. All these promises to look forward to are all based on the covenant he made with those people when he brought them out of Egypt and gave them his spirit. He had not given up on Israel. He has not given up on Israel. Sure, there's a short pause, and he's going to deal with the, he's finally going to come back and make an end of their sin and and bring an end to the transgression and seal up the vision and the prophecy and and uh, you know you you know all those things those are those are all coming during the tribulation. Then the Lord Himself, yet a little while, and He will set His feet down on the Mount of Olives and wipe out His enemies, establish His kingdom, and redeem His people Israel once and for all. Thank you for listening. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.